looking at the Gospel of John, uh, beginning in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word eternally true. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now please uh, look down at verse 19, same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Who then are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had sent Jesus, who had sent, sorry, now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletin or up here on the screen as well. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. We continue on in, in the Gospel of John now and, and look at how the Gospel of John teaches us about Jesus and about how we're to respond and, and act in this life that we that we live. Uh, we started last week with this text and talked about some things that we see here that we'll just repeat. And if you like to, to uh, fill out blanks in an outline, you can do that and follow along that way. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. Uh, but from last week, here's what we talked about. Number one, we don't discuss this, we'll just get ourselves uh, uh, revved up and, and warmed up from what we know already from this passage from last week. Number one, know that Jesus is the anointed king, the Christ. Um, John shows us that. That was his purpose in writing the book, chapter 20, verse 31. John tells us that was his purpose for writing the book, that we would know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing this, 
we would have life in his name. Second thing, also from last week, since Jesus is the king God anointed, the Christ, that's what anointed, uh, that's what the Christ means, the anointed one, and the anointed one uh, is Jesus. Since Jesus is the king God anointed, treat Jesus as your king. So we began to speak about that last week. Treat Jesus as your king. This is John's point. This is what John wanted the, uh, his readers to know when he wrote this, probably around A.D. 90, um, that Jesus was the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the king, and that they were to treat him as such. So two ways we, we mentioned we would talk about of treating Jesus as your king. One of the things a king does for you is make you secure and safe. Uh, as the kings of Old Testament Israel did when they had a good and faithful king, all the citizens of Israel were safe. They were safe from invaders, foreign armies. They didn't have to worry about their houses being burned down and their, the stuff from their houses being looted. They didn't have to worry about being slaughtered by a foreign army. A good king accomplished this. A, 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 an anointed king accomplished this for them. And so that's your A point there. Um, we are likewise to look in life. In our lives, we're to look. And for death, as we approach death, we're to look to Jesus for safety and salvation. So we look in life and for death to Jesus because he's our king. For safety, for that's what a good king does. He makes his people safe. A weak king, a disorganized king, a king who's not wise doesn't make his people safe. But a wise king, a knowledgeable king, a strong king, a faithful king makes his people safe. And Jesus is all those things. He's a wise, knowledgeable, faithful king. He's strong and he makes us safe. And so that's the exhortation here that we looked at at the end of last week. Look in life and for death to Jesus for safety and salvation. For safety and salvation, which is what a good and strong king does. A good and strong king provides the safety and salvation for his people. So that's what we looked, that's what we looked at last week. This week, new to this week, we look at a second way that we treat Jesus as our king. Again, not as our, not as our buddy, not as our friend, although there are some senses of, you know, Jesus calls us his friends, if we're his disciples. Um, he reveals himself to us. Uh, but John presents him, and what we see Jesus from the get-go is that he is king. That's why Jesus presents the gospel as the kingdom of God is at hand, because he was the king bringing the kingdom. So new this week, B, second way we treat, a second way in which we treat Jesus as king. We look to Jesus as king, not only for protection, for safety and salvation, but also we look to him to see how to live. The king, think about a kingdom, has laws about how you live. And so if you think about a feudal system, like in in the Middle Ages, where you had feudal kings who had kingdoms and a, a castle and a, a wall and a moat, not everybody lived within that. Most of the, the citizens lived out, outside of that. Uh, but the king promised them protection 
And as they lived in the kingdom, they had laws that the king created that they were to obey, a certain way they were to live. And that was a good thing for you as a citizen of whatever feudal king you were under, because these laws typically said that people couldn't steal your stuff. They couldn't kill you. They couldn't rape your wife. They couldn't kidnap your children. And so the laws of the king, if you had a good king, were a very good thing. And you looked to your king not only for his laws, but to enforce those laws as well. So the king has laws by which to live that set the parameters and the standards for your life. So treat Jesus as your king in this second way. Look for, here are your blanks, look for his, look for his laws to guide you. Look for his laws to guide you in all things that he speaks about. Okay, that little last phrase there. Jesus doesn't tell you how to fix your Honda Civic. So don't look to him for that. But wherever he speaks, whatever he speaks about in the scriptures, in the Bible, look to him for guidance in your life, for the standard to which you are to live. That's the second way we treat Jesus as a king. A king has laws. It's a common mistake in our society today, in Christianity in our society today, in the church today in the United States, to look to Jesus only for the first thing. Only to be a king who keeps us secure and safe. I have a, a, a high school friend, Tony, and we were... Uh, um, Facebook messaging yesterday as I was working in my crawl space, <laughs> getting dings in my pocket, pulling this out. And, and he sent me a, a song by, I forget the guy's name. It was a funny name. Uh, but uh, it, it was about, you know, why God would you listen to me when, all, when the only time I talk to you is when I need something? Anyone know who sang that song? Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll, yeah. So Jelly Roll wrote this song. What's the name of that song? Do you remember? Yeah. Anyway, and, and I said, and I said to, to Tony, my friend, yeah, good point. <laughs> we don't want to look to Jesus just when we need something, when we need protection in this life for something, you know, uh, or, or whether or as we come to death. We don't want to look to him just in this first way or a way for security, for protection, uh, for for eternal life. It's good that we look to him. For those things when we need something he says pray about everything um he says there's only one way to the father that's through me john 14 6 so we look to him in that way but but the church generally doesn't understand that we have a good king who has good laws to govern and direct our lives a good standard for us to live to um and so that's the second way we look to jesus uh, as our king um, Psalm 119, 105, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, God's word and, and Jesus himself, John 1, 1 through 3, is called the word. Um, God's word directs us. It's a light to our path. So it's not we're not walking in the dark and stubbing our toe or or, or hitting our nose in the door or on the on the door frame because it's so because it's so dark. 
um, the words of Jesus, his laws for us, protect us. They're good for us. They bring to us blessing in life. And so we don't want to miss out on this blessing that Jesus doesn't just save us for eternity, but he also instructs us in how to live through his, through his laws. So number one, number one, B1. You bananas and pajamas fans. I always have to think of that. B1 and B2. Uh, B1. First, what are Jesus' laws? Well, Jesus' laws are his commands. And Jesus, as we looked at last week, and as you can see in verses 1 and 2, um, Jesus did not begin at his um, inception in the, the womb, his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That was not Jesus' beginning. Rather, John emphasizes that Jesus is eternal God who has always been and has always been the Son of God. Son of God in Old Testament times, Son of God before anything was created. And in fact, verse 3, chapter 1, He was the one who created everything that has been created. And so Jesus is this eternal God. And so all the commands of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, are Jesus' commands. So Jesus' laws are the commands of Scripture, which set, here's your next blank, which set the standard for your life. Deuteronomy 6.25, Obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And this will be our righteousness or our way of being um, faithful to him. So the commands of Scripture are Jesus' laws. Think of the commands of Scripture. Whenever there's a command of Scripture as a law from your king, like you're in a feudal kingdom somewhere, and your king says, this is how you are to live. You're to not do, to do this to people. You're to do this personally. And you're to treat people in this way. Laws from your king that you are to obey for your own good and for the good of those who are around you. Not to spoil your fun, not to make your life bad, but to make your life good and to bless the people who are around you as your life is also blessed as you walk in his standard. Now, number two, since Jesus is your king and you are in his kingdom and he has laws that are the standard for your life. Number two, learn, learn, learn and come to know, learn and come to know Jesus commands. Look at the preparation for hearing God's word in, in your bulletin there above our, our scripture readings, where it says preparing for the hearing of God's word. Psalm 119 verses verses 18 through 20. Um, Psalm 119 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The law, the commands of God are wonderful. They show us wonderful things. They keep us from trouble. Uh, it's our God saying, don't cross a busy street without looking both ways first. That's a good law. That keeps us out of trouble. That blesses our lives. Um, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Do not hide your commands from me. Most of the evangelical Christianity today wants God to hide his commands from them. I don't want those commands. 
Those are bad, man. Just give me the gospel. Well, the truth is, the good news is that we have a king that not only saves us, but teaches us how to live. That's good news. That's gospel that we're taught as believers how to live our lives. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us in our lives floundering around, making mistakes that we didn't have to make that damage us and damage the people we love and damage the people around us that, that make things hard and difficult for us. So do not hide your commands from me. And then he says, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. That's to be our standard, the standard of our heart, to be consumed with longing for, God, show me your ways. Show me how to, to live my life so that I live it intelligently, so that I live it accurately, so that I live it in a way, live my life in a way that you, that you bless, so that people call me blessed, so that people say, you know, I, I, I like John. When he comes around, he encourages me or, or he treats me well or he's kind or he's patient. These are all commands from God to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle. And so we, we long for this. We're consumed with knowing this more and more so that our, and it, it feels good when we obey his law too. Our souls feel good. It feels good to be patient and kind with somebody even when that's a little bit hard. When we've done it, we say, we say in our souls, man, that was satisfying. That was better than getting angry at that person. Because I know if I had been angry at that person right now, I'd be kind of in chaos psychologically because I've created a little war there with that person. So we, we, we want to learn and come to know Jesus' commands. So second line there for you underneath your B2. This means read read and come to know the Bible. Read and come to know the Bible. Okay, you don't want to be somebody who just comes on Sunday and hears what your pastor says. Okay, I'm preaching, my, my assumption is I'm preaching on top of what you're reading during the week. Scripture's full, the Psalms are full of the psalmist saying, oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the night, Psalm 119, 97. Um, and, and so, you know, it's like, um, uh, you know, when I was in college and I, I minored in history, I took all American history classes when I was in, in college, but, you know, I had learned American history in elementary school, you know, in third grade, was, that was the bicentennial year. My third grade was 75, 76. So we had to memorize the, the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, you know, that, that poem. Uh, and we learned all these things about American history then. And then fourth grade had American history. Fifth grade had American history, you know, and then uh, learned more about it, you know, kind of in sixth and seventh grade, but had a big unit on American history in eighth grade. And then sophomore year had another year full of American history. So when I got to college, I was operating on a knowledge base and I could be conversant because I wasn't just learning the fundamentals when my professors were talking about the Cold War in the 1950s. I'd heard about that in junior high and high school and, and so I could operate with that and learn on, on a different level of things. Um, not like 
somebody who's coming from Iraq to, or, or, or to, you know, I, my brother's roommate was from actually Nazareth. <laughs> He's Palestinian and he grew up in Nazareth. Uh, his name was Osama. We call him Osama of Nazareth. <laughs> my brother is a four year room, four year roommate with Osama, a really nice guy. And, and, and uh, but, you know, he comes to the United States, and if he's taking an, a U.S. history class at Ohio Wesleyan University, where he was, that's all first time for him. And he's at a great disadvantage as his professor talks on American history as he sits next to all these other American kids who have gotten American history, you know, four times during their growing up. And you want to be that way. You want to read God's word. And you want to love God's word. You want to long for his commands. You want to be familiar with these things because this is, this is wisdom for your life. Um, you, you come here to hear from me or, or as you're you know, somewhere else, if you move, move away uh, uh, to another place, you come to your pastor to talk to you, you know, at that college professor level, having read the scriptures and he will make, hopefully more sense of it for you, but you've already got you know, kind of the grammar of it, so to speak, the basics of it, so to speak. So read and come to know the Bible. It's content of, here's what's in the Bible, God's law, God's laws, God's character, so you know how to be like him, and God's actions, how he saves and protects and cares for his people. Um, these are all things that are in the Bible. So, um, you know, all, all of us read a lot. Um, we read stuff, if we're watching British TV, we read stuff across the bottom there, so we can, so we can understand uh, what, what, what they're saying there, especially as British TV, usually they're speaking at a very low volume there. Uh, but we read stuff on our phones, we, we read uh, printed stuff, we're reading stuff all through the day, have some of what you read be the Bible. You know, really, don't don't wake up and read Facebook. Re wake wake up and wake up and, and read the Word. Read Facebook later. All that stuff will be there later. That's not life giving. It's okay to look at. It's fun, um, but but it's not life giving. You know, use use your reading time or some of your reading time for the reading of God's Word because that's life giving. That directs your life. Uh, you know, Facebook stuff's fun because it's like, look at what this stupid person did, <laughs> right? And 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 it's it's helpful because we say, I'm not that dumb. I would never have done that. <laughs> so that's fun. You can read that, but but make sure out of your reading, you're reading anyway. That's what I'm saying. You're reading anyway. So have some of your reading being God's word, and don't think. Just to encourage you, don't think your reading has to be. I've got to read a half an hour. If all you can do, literally is 60 seconds. Read for 60 seconds. And don't feel guilty. Read for 60 seconds. Just read for 60 seconds. Set a set 60 seconds on your phone if you want to. Something. I, I have a, a, a friend um, uh, that I connected up with. Well, we've been Facebook friends for a while, but we were friends in, in college. Um, his nickname was Buddha. <laughs> Ken was a starting offensive tackle on our Division Three football team. He was all league, I think. He started fairly early, which was a big accomplishment. Uh, like maybe as a sophomore, he started on the football team. Uh, my little college had won uh, more football, more victories in any division of football than any other college. That's not true anymore. 
But at the time, Wittenberg University had won any more games than any Division One, two or three school. So it was a big deal. Um, uh, but uh, he, as he said to me last week, he was probably at his worst during college. Um, he had an alcohol problem and announced to us, he's president of my fraternity, he announced to us that he had started going to AA um, because his alcohol had gotten out of control, uh, which I thought was a big deal. I was, you know, very courageous of him to say. But, but now he's walking with the Lord. He's always kind of warm toward Christianity. Um, uh, during college, maybe came to a Bible study or two, but was never really involved with us in any uh, Bible stuff. Uh, but now he's walking with the Lord. And he sends out, he told me, he got in touch with me last week, he sends out to all these college guys who were kind of maybe, you know, on the fringe a little bit with Christianity um, that he and I knew, uh, a Bible verse every morning on by text. You know, just something. Um, and, and so for some of those guys, that's, that's all they're reading, but that's something, and that's good for them. And so you do something good for yourself like that. Whether it's 60 seconds or two minutes or five minutes, don't think you've got to be a biblical scholar reading 30, 60 minutes and, you know, every, every day. Don't think it has to be during a certain part of the day uh, either. But read, read the scriptures. Come to know it. Um, love God's word. Love his law. Uh, as I mentioned, verse 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. Um, see that? The law is not a curse for the believer. It's something that the believer longs for. Um, the law becomes to a person upon his or her faith a blessing. Uh, now more about this. Number three. Number three. Obey his laws. Now this is not, you can, you can do this as a kind of a fundamentalistic, legalistic person that says you get saved by your law obedience. That's wrong. You don't get saved by your law obedience. You don't have eternal salvation by how well you obey. But note, Jesus says to his disciples, John 14, Bob read it for us. Jesus said to his disciples, he who loves me obeys my teaching. This is who loves me, he who obeys my law. Um, so obey his laws, that's John 14, 21 and, and 23. Uh, we obey, here's your next line for you in your bulletin. You obey not for your salvation, you don't obey for your salvation, but for how to live. So some of you know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which declares this, for we're saved you know, by, by faith, by God's grace, not by works that no one should boast. So no one will boast in heaven because no one's been saved by their works. No one's been saved by their law obedience. We've been saved by our faith. By the grace of God. Um, Titus 3, verses 4 through 8. That was our declaration of the gospel. You can look at it there. It's in the front of your, your front, the front of your bulletin. Um, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, that's talking about Jesus, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generous, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And then Paul tells Titus, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, see the audience here, those who trusted in God, Christians, 
So those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. This is what Christians do. We devote ourselves to doing what's good. What is good? It's declared by what the law of God tells us to do. So we obey his laws, not for salvation, but for how to live. The king has laws. We're in his kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. And we obey the king's laws. They govern your behavior. They govern how you live. They're your standard that you measure your life toward. And number four, let no one else's laws, let no one else's laws compete with the Lord's laws. God said this to his people as they were entering into the promised land. Deuteronomy 18.9, God says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. We're to look to God's laws and walk in his ways, not to look at the ways of the nations. God in the New Testament talks about the nations, and then he talks about his holy nation, the church, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We're God's holy nation, and we look to God's laws, not to how the world lives, not to what they're doing, not to what they declare is okay. What are laws of the nations, things that we, principles or life guidelines that we don't get from Scripture? Um, so if you're a fan of the Karate Kid movies, you know that the law of the Cobra Kai uh, uh, the karate studio was what? No mercy. <laughs> That's a philosophy of life. No, show no mercy. Strike first. <laughs> Um, that's, that's a way of the world. That's a philosophy that some live by. Um, our older society, there used to be the expression, be true to yourself. Not in scripture. Don't be true to yourself. Be true to what God declares you are to be. Because ourselves, we have a sin nature. If I were true to myself, I wouldn't be very nice to you. Ask Betsy what I'm like when I'm coming out from under anesthesia and I don't have the control of the Holy Spirit over my life. <laughs> Get me a sandwich. <laughs> I'm not very nice, right? That's right. And so God says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And I thought, hey, that's that verse there. Don't be drunk with anesthesia because you're not very nice. When you're under the control of that, your self-control is gone. When you're under the influence of alcohol or some drug, including anesthesia. Um, but don't be true to yourself. Um, I, I, I have a friend who, who's not a believer, and he has this as the law he lives by. No one can tell me what to do. So how does that work when someone tells you something that will be beneficial for your life? Well, he told me what to do. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> How's that work? Um, what if somebody tells you and there are two beakers full of clear liquid and one's hydrochloric acid and one's water and the person says, don't drink this one, this is hydrochloric acid. And you say, he can't tell me what to do. And you take the hydrochloric acid and drink that. Not a good philosophy of life, but one that we see in the world. Um, <laughs> some say, here's a philosophy in the world, 
do what feels right. Right? Most of the time, what is good and, and, and righteous and loving is do what is kind of difficult to do, but that's right. Don't do what feels right or do what feels good. Do what's right, regardless of how it feels. Um, and then there's our favorite from the Lion King, Hakuna Matata, right? <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. Um, it's good to be happy. Um, don't be anxious. Uh, but if you're in the middle of the road and there's a Mack truck coming, um, worry a little bit and, and get out of the road. Uh, but look to God's law for direction in life, not, not to the, the sayings and the truisms of the world. And when someone says something to you and everyone says, oh, yeah, that's right. Right. Like on Facebook or some TV show or some movie. Don't just join in and say, oh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's so true. Right. <laughs> evaluate that. You hear that all the time. Evaluate that. If someone's telling you how to live, evaluate that against the laws of Scripture, against what Jesus says. Okay. So why does it make sense for you to learn, know, and walk in obedience to Jesus' commands? Uh, four reasons we'll list now, A through D. Why does it make sense to obey the laws of Jesus, the commands of Scripture? Okay, four reasons. Here's the first. A, because Jesus is all-knowing and all-wise. Jesus is all-knowing and all-wise. Um, Jesus is the king of God's people. Jesus declared of himself, someone greater than Solomon is here. Referring to himself. And you know what we have said of Solomon, 1 Kings 10, 23. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. In 1 Kings 3, God says, I will make you wiser than any king who will ever live. And that was true until Jesus came to live on the earth. But Jesus is all wise like Solomon, and even more so. He's greater than Solomon. Jesus declared this in Luke eleven thirty one: The queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, who came and visited Solomon to observe his wisdom, and the way he lived his life, and the way he ran his kingdom, the way he ran his household and his palace. The queen of the south will rise at judgment with the, with the men of this generation who rejected Jesus. And she will condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus says, I'm wiser than Solomon, and you should listen and follow and copy what I do and say. You should be at least as wise as the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, who came up to observe my wisdom and walked away and said, this is greater than I was told your wisdom is. Our epistle reading, Colossians 2, 3, Paul says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Where are all the treasures of wisdom? In Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then Paul goes on and says, other philosophies that the Colossian people were messing around with were hollow and deceptive. Were hollow and deceptive. So don't listen to the word if you, world. If you hear something from the world, evaluate it from the scripture. If someone from the world says, I just think everyone should 
love people as they love themselves. You evaluate that against Scripture and you say, oh, Jesus said that. That's a good one. So I'll, I'll walk in that way. But if they say, don't let people mess with you, get them back. Scripture says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Forgive as I've forgiven you. And so that's the way we walk. Um, so Jesus knows more than Solomon. Um, Jesus is God. That was the end of that Colossians passage that we looked at. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of dwell, deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God. And we saw that in this passage. Look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus is God, so he knows about everything. But also, verse 3, he made everything. He's the maker. He knows how it works. He knows all the parts that everything has because he put those parts there to give that whatever it is, those abilities. And he knows your psychological makeup. He knows the psychological makeup of a, of a human being and how something that surprises us affects us, how the death of someone we love affects us. He knows how getting, obtaining a certain goal that we've had a long time affects us because he made us. He structured us. He put us together. When I was um, uh, in high school, we moved uh, right before my ninth grade year in the summer in August to a new house in the same town, Delaware, Ohio. And in this house, in my sister's room, was what we called the sitting room. She had a second little room. And, and, and you, you, you walk down two steps. It was an old, old, old house. The first part of the house was built in 1865. Um, and then there were build-ons. It used to be a farmhouse, but now it's like right in the middle of town. You know how that works. But as you, you step down, and to the right as you step down was a bookshelf. And if you pushed on this bookshelf, it opened up to the old ceiling above the original cottage, which was what we called the breakfast room, our little eating area. Uh, but if you were told, if you were purchasing this house, that there's a secret compartment somewhere, it might take you a long, long time to find that compartment, right? To do all the research yourself and, and find out and and push and look around and, and you're looking at doors and all that kind of thing before you came to that. But if you approach the architect and the builder of that house and said, I heard there's a secret compartment, he could tell you, oh, it's in the sitting room. You know, right as you walk down those two steps, there's that, that bookshelf. Just push on the bookshelf and the hinge is on the right and the part that opens is on the left and you can store stuff back there. You'll see it's the it's the old outside roof of the original cottage. And you save yourself lots of time by just talking to the one who made the house, who designed the house and who built the house and put it together. Well, what we have in Jesus is the one who is the architect, the one who's the builder, the one who's made all things. Look at verse 3. Through him, the word Jesus, all things were made. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. He knows your frame. He knows your structure. He knows how relationships and different things that are said affect you. He made you, as David said in Psalm 139, when he saw your frame, when you were being formed, 
in the, in the inner womb. He saw your unformed body when you were made in the depths of your mother's womb. And so this makes sense that we look to Jesus as to how to live. He's the one he's, he, who knows that, you know, it, it's like the guy who builds the engine. You push the little, you push the little uh, bubble thing four times to choke it. You don't push it 10 times because then you flooded the engine and it won't start when you pull the cord. As you have mowed yards know what I'm talking about uh, there. And, and you want to push that thing four times, but you have to talk to the designer. And if you just flounder around trying to figure it out, you might not know what that little bubble thing is, is for there. And you might push it while the engine's running and burn your knuckles. Okay? But the architect and the builder, the designer of the mechanism can tell you how to live, how to operate in this life. So that's why it makes sense to follow Jesus' laws because he made you. He knows what's good for you. He knows what's bad for you. And that's what his law is about. He doesn't want you to do things that are going to harm you. He's telling you things that will help you, that will bless, that will bless your life. So know the Bible, um, learn it, uh, live by it, and it'll make your life better and your soul more satisfied. And then B, B, and we've kind of in, intimated this already. Uh, because Jesus, uh, why do you obey Jesus' laws? Because Jesus gave you his laws out of love out of love for you and out of the desire for your good. He's not, he's not a wicked king. He's not, a, I'm going to require that they do this. And every time they do it, it's going to, you know, pinch their finger. You know, he gives us laws because he loves us and he wants our lives to be good and, and blessed. And so uh, we see this in, in John 41, uh, sorry, John 14, 21, and 23, uh, Matthew 7, 25. Jesus is a king who's a, a benevolent dictator, as we've mentioned before. I didn't come up with that phrase. My Hebrew teacher came up with that phrase on Facebook when we used to put on Facebook years ago, what's your political stripe, right? Before that became so explosive and then they removed that. <laughs> but he put a uh, preferred uh, political stance. He put benevolent dictator because <laughs> he meant Jesus. Right? It's someone who tells you what to do, who has your best interests in mind. Um, but Jesus won't, won't coerce you, but he'll tell you what to do. He'll rule you, you know, give you his laws for your personal well-being. Uh, so uh, you do not fear nor dread Jesus' commands. They're not a bummer or something that'll make your life worse. They won't ruin your life or take away something uh, that would make your life better. Rather, when you're doing the commands of the King Jesus, and here's your next line there under B, doing Christ's commands will be good for your life. Bob read for us from Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just reiterated commands, basically the Ten Commandments, but the laws of, of God from Moses. And he uh, speaks about what he meant when he gave these commands back to Moses. I didn't mean just don't commit physical adultery with somebody. I meant don't, don't entertain that with somebody else who's not your wife. I didn't mean just don't physically kill somebody when I gave Moses the commandment that literally was two words, no murder. What I meant was that you don't have hatred for anybody and that you don't call your brother stupid head 
Don't use your words to harm. That's what I, that's what I meant. And so after all these laws, Jesus gives this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this parable about the wise man and the foolish man. And the foolish man builds his house in the sand. And Jesus says, here's what that's like. That's like hearing these words of mine, my reiteration my urging of you to follow the commands of me. That's the foolish man. And it's like building, if you hear my words and don't do them, that's like building your house on the sand. Ever built a sand castle? Right? You got you to get close enough to the, the wet sand or else nothing will stick together. But when you're close enough to the wet sand, the tide comes in and washes it away. Um, likewise, if you built a house on the sand right there, um, i.e., you know, the outer banks. You know, we've learned a little bit about how to do that, but still the big hurricanes don't, you know, still harm those houses. It, that, that, the storm comes and washes away the house. That's foolish. And that's what Jesus says to knowing my commands and not doing them. But he says, the wise man is this, the one who hears my commands and does them. And that's not new. That's just the book of Proverbs. That's what Solomon says. Wisdom is knowing the commands of God and doing them. Hear my commands, my son. And then he just reiterates what comes from the law of Moses, the commands. Wise is the man who follows God's commands, but the fool doesn't do them. And it leads to his destruction. And so Jesus gives us his commands that we would be wise and be blessed and that our lives would be like a house that is fortified and strong and doesn't end in disaster. That's why Jesus gives us his commands, that we can hear them, that we can do them, and that our lives won't have disaster in them. So likewise, Psalm 119, 98, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. They, get, they give me more insight than all my teachers. They give me more understanding than those who are older than me. And then verse 165 of Psalm 119. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. So Jesus gives us his law so that we won't stumble in life. So that our lives will be a house that's impenetrable, that stands and does not come down, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, with a great crash. So our lives don't have disaster and end in disaster because of foolish things we've done that are outside of the law of God. And then thirdly, see, why obey Jesus' commands? Why treat Jesus as a king and obey his laws? Because doing Christ's commands will make you live wisely. I can't say that without thinking of Indiana Jones there. <laughs> you have chosen wisely to obey the laws of Jesus and not as a fool, not as a fool. The foolish man built his house on a sand. God's commands make us wiser than our enemies. So Jesus gives his commands out of love so our lives don't end in disaster. Jesus gives us his commands that we might live wisely or accurately according to our frame, according to what blesses us, according to what's good for us, that's wise living. And then D, fourth reason, 
We obey the laws of our king. We treat Jesus as a king and we listen to his laws to guide our lives to be the standard for how we live in his kingdom. Uh, fourthly, doing Christ's commands will result in your knowing God better. Do you know that? Scripture re reiterates this many, many times. It says, as you do the commands of God, you come to know him better. John 14, 21, Jesus says this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, I will love him and show myself to him. Jesus earlier had said that he didn't show himself to the unbelieving because he knew men and he knew what was in their hearts, unbelieving men. But he says, to those who have my commands and obey them, I will show myself to them. You know how that practically works is, is you know, his commands flow out of his character. So he tells you to be patient because he's patient. And so then when we walk through a situation and exercise patience in that situation, we come to know him more because we've had a common experience. We know what it's like when people are making fun of us because of our faith in Jesus, and we show grace and patience, and we pray in our, our mind and our soul, Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing. And we treat them with grace. And when we do that, we come to know Jesus better because lo and behold, that's what he did when he was on the cross. And we understand what that's like to be abused for believing the truth, which Jesus did, the truth that he was the second person of the Trinity, come to save all his people. When people were mocking him and saying, oh, if you were the Christ, you'd not be on the cross. And to endure with silence, without a, without a comeback, without a zinger, the insults of people because of our faith, when we walk through that ourselves, when we do that ourselves, we come to know Jesus a little bit better. It's like when you meet somebody and you find out that you used to live in the same town. You talk about the things in that town and you know each other a little bit better because you know the common sights that you had. You knew what the weather was like at certain parts of the year. Maybe you went into the same school or were in the same school and you can talk about those things. You know that person better because you've had common experience with that person, even if it were at a different time. That happens with Jesus and with you. When you obey his law, you're just doing something that he has done. You're walking in his character, living out his character in your situation. And he came and lived as a man and lived out his character in his situations. And so you get it. It's like Paul in Philippians 3. He says, I actually kind of like sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Because there's this fellowship. He calls it the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And he says, because I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul realizes, I know Jesus better because just like Jesus was kicked out of town, like Jesus was in Nazareth and Jerusalem, I've been kicked out of towns for believing the truth. And I know him better because of my suffering, because I've walked through similar things. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about 
when he says, those who obey me know me better. When you're persecuted for your faith, for believing the truth, you know Jesus better, don't you? Because Jesus was persecuted for believing the truth. When you treat with kindness those who are abusing you, you know Jesus better because Jesus was abused and he treated his abusers with kindness. But also there's this part here, John 14, 21, where it's just like where Jesus says elsewhere, um, you know, to, to those who have, more will be given. To those who are faithful, they'll get more. To those who are faith, unfaithful, what they have will be taken from them. And so th this is part of what Jesus refers to when he says in John 14, 21, I will love him and show myself to him. We obey and Jesus shows himself to us. So you want to know Jesus better. Part of knowing Jesus better is reading his word. Part of knowing Jesus better is obeying his law. We come to know him better when he obeys his law. We become someone that he reveals himself to more. I will like whoever has my commands and obeys him, I will show myself to him. So summary, summary for us. John the Baptist makes clear that Jesus is the king, the king God has for his people. John the Baptist makes clear that Jesus is the king God has for his people. And his people look to their kings for safety and the laws of life in the kingdom. You should look to Jesus, your king. You should look to Jesus, your king, for safety in life and in death. For safety in life and in death. And for how to live. He's your king in that way too. The king who protects you for in this life and in eternity. And the king who gives you his standards, his laws for how to live to your blessing because he loves you, because he wants you to be a wise person living on this earth. He wants his citizens to be the wisest citizens across the whole earth. Let's pray.